Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 148. I am Mo, and if I'm fe- uh, hearing, hearing, if I'm sounding a little bit tinny and weird today, it's because uh, I forgot to set my mic up properly like an absolute idiot. So sorry about that. Luckily, I am saved by the experts, the professionals that are Jonathan Potter, Reviews Editor at Metal Hammer. How are you doing, Seltz? I'm doing pretty good. Hello. Uh, and hopefully sounding a lot clearer than you. Yes, you certainly are. Uh, also joined by the one and only Miss Eleanor Goodman, Deputy Editor of Metal Hammer. How's it going, Elle? I'm all right, thanks. The sun has just come out and now I just want to go and get a big ice cream. It has. It's it's looking glorious over at... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing about English people or British people. Just the minute it hits like 13, 12, 13 degrees, everyone suddenly thinks for the first time in the year, everyone suddenly thinks it's like the French Riviera all of a sudden. Jonathan, I will eat ice cream in the snow. Whoa. Actually, so wow. it's pretty good. Um, we're also recording on a new system today, so I'm just testing out some little bits as we go along. But hopefully, it all sounds swell. Uh, there's a lot to talk about this week, but before we get stuck into all of that, there is still the latest issue of Metal Hammer that is out right now as we speak. You've got about one more week here in the UK to pick up our January issue, starring the four awesome young bands that we've put on the cover this month. Twin Temple, The Who, High Lung and Alien Weaponry, four of the most exciting young bands in the scene today. Each have their own cover. You can go out and pick your favourite in the shops across the UK right now. We also have some bundles on sale at the moment. We've got a Who bundle featuring an exclusive cover and a Who face mask. We've literally only got, uh, I think it's in the low tens uh, of of those bundles left now. Um, we've also got an Alien Weaponry bundle where you can also get an exclusive cover alongside a very cool Maori-themed keychain. Uh, not keychain, it's a pendant, sorry. Um, cool little necklace thingy that you can get with that as well. And with the Highlung bundle might just be one of my favourites we've done, uh, as well as the exclusive Highlung cover. It also comes with a Highlung colouring book, because what's more metal than colouring in? Um, so yeah, you can get all of those right now from Magazines Direct or tinyurl.com slash gethammer. We did have Twin Temple bundles on sale, but they sold out very quickly, and these ones may well do the same. So if you like the sound of those, make sure you get on those ASAP. Uh, Right, lots of news to get through this week. Uh, System of a Down are doing a live stream, which sounded very exciting um, until we found out that it might not actually be a performance. Have I got that right, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, so I've been told it's a, it's a panel dis- panel stroke discussion. Um, I'm sure it'll still be fascinating anyway. But yeah, damn about that. How can we watch but... it? <laughs> Tell us. Are you asking me? Anyone? Well, I think it's on YouTube, isn't it? <laughs> yep, from 5pm UK time on Saturday. Jamie the Yes. Tune it's in via Saturday. YouTube, via YouTube. 5pm UK time, as Jonathan said, this Saturday, Jan 30th, um, there's going to be, uh, I think, some kind of talking thing happening, and then it's all going to be uh, resulting in an official video reveal for their recent new system of announcing genocidal humanoids. Uh, so yeah, that should be interesting. You can go and see that if you like. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's definitely really good, and we can vouch for this, is the, no- the new four-part mini-documentary about Wardruna. What a band. Elle, tell me about this documentary that's going on. Oh, well, they've released it in like four little bits over the last couple of months. 
and it's shot really nicely. It's like Ina Selvik, the mastermind behind Wardruna, walking through nature and there's lots of cutaway shots of trees and snow and he just talks about some of the themes on the record which we discussed last podcast about how um you know some of the things is dipping into like the oral traditions of singing and how nature can be quite healing for us and it's just cool it's just a cool kind of interesting thing yeah 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 yeah, I've seen the first, I've seen a few of those and they're beautifully put together. Um, yeah. I would also like to add that once you're done with those four parts, check back on YouTube and because uh, it follows a, um, a documentary that I made actually with with um, Phil Wallace, who's um, shot this thing amazingly. We did it back in our old Team Rock days for the London by North um, uh, event. And um, and it's a, it's a history of of Rajuna, it's a history of enslaved and a history of the project they did together. So go and watch um, Alex Milas's, um amazing documentary. And if you're inter- intrigued anymore, go back and check that. It's on, if you if you do search for uh, Team Rock and Buy Norse as two words, uh, it will turn up very easy. That's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Excellent plug, yeah. sir. We're all about Wadrina. We reviewed the new album, uh, I think, was it last week, Al, that we did that or the week before? Yeah. It's out now, isn't it? It's out now. Yeah, so let's watch Junior Rounds out now. It's really, really good. And uh, we've got a big feature with the bands coming up in an upcoming issue of Metal Hammer as well. Um, speaking of documentaries, uh, I mean, this is a weird one because it the, this whole situation sucks, but also it's good to see the way the kind of metal community is coming together in light of all the stuff that's going on with um, venues and, and bars in the rock scene kind of facing real trouble. So first up, We've got a brand new documentary that's just been released now celebrating the iconic and much missed Crowbar, which was forced to uh, close its doors last year in light of the pandemic. Uh, And the owners made a very impassioned speech online about the effects that the pandemic has had on them and the kind of lack of government support that um, that side of the industry is facing right now. Uh, so they put together a documentary called Music When the Lights Go Out. It's on YouTube now. It's directed by Lucy Brown and Andrew Wildey. Uh, and it's really, really good. It's a really nice little tribute and kind of a um, little bit of an inside look at one of the UK's very, very greatest metal bars. Anyone that's spent any time in London as a metalhead will know what the Crowbar is all about. Uh, and you can go and check that out right now. And you can also donate to their crowdfunding page, which is at crowdfunder.co.uk slash crowbar. Um, and on a similar note as well, uh, another London venue. I appreciate these things are sounding a little London-centric. If anyone on the Metal Hammer Reader Facebook page uh, knows of other venues around the country that are experiencing similar problems that we can shine a light on and help raise support and money for, do post in there and let us know, and we'll talk about it here on the podcast. Um, but another great London venue, the Black Heart, is also in some real trouble, uh, and they've launched a crowdfunding campaign for survival of their own. Uh, they've announced that they've got zero help from the government or their landlords, and they really need our support to keep on going. Again, if you're a metalhead and you've been around the Camden area, you'll know what the Black Heart is. It's one of the best bars in London. It's an English institution. And, you know, after losing bars like Big Red and the Intrepid Fox and various others in London over the years, and I know there's many more around the country as well um, that have been facing trouble in the last 10 years or so. We really need to support these kind of places. They're a vital part of the economy. They're a vital part of the music scene. And uh, anything anybody can do to 
help spread the message or donate to the cause. I know it's much appreciated. So if you want to crowdfund, um, donate, sorry, to the crowdfunder for the Black Heart, you can go to www.crowdfunder.co.uk, save the Black Heart. Um, so yeah, this is this is a tough time that venues and, and uh, especially um, bars as well seem to be facing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've I've had some of my favorite bars disappear. Uh, there's one in Bergen called the Garage, and it was for, you know, uh, things to do with landlords and and um, and it just it really tears the heart out of the community. And and it's just you know you have your favorite bars where it's just so much of your life is is connect, is connected to those and the people and the and the whole kind of ambience of the place and the people who work there. And I, you know, I have that with the Black Heart. It's it's my fate. And I've had that, you know, in a long time with the crowbar too. You know, I spent, you know, so many amazing nights in there. Met so many amazing people. It's so much part of my sort of mindset and my and and you know, it's been part of my life. I just can't imagine life without them, to be honest. Yeah. It's, um, um, sorry, Jonathan. I thought you'd finished. No, no. And about you know, and the the thing is as well. It's like it's, I just want to say that it's just it's part of something that's been going on. Uh, you know, a lot, lot, even before the pandemic of issues of like, especially bars in Soho having been closed down and, you know, wanting to put things up, you know, I think it's mainly so people can put up rents and get new businesses in there. But, you know, it's that thing they say about us critics. It's like, you know, the price of everything and the value of nothing. But, um, you know, these things are, are absolutely invaluable. There was something, was it in the film? Um, I think... Uh, the bar owner Richard was talking about how there are people that come to the bar um, that now feel like they just lost a load of friends because they would go in the bar and they'd see people and they'd chat with them and they'd become mates but they'd never kind of um, swap phone numbers or been to each other's houses and they just knew each other by first name and how he himself was talking about being in Soho for so many years and the network of people that he'd made around there and just that kind of loss not just of um, a bar it's of a community and um, I think he's hoping with the crowdfunding, if it's successful, he said in the video he wants to have a bar with a room that can be used as a music venue as well, which would be awesome because it's just bringing that community together again and um, making a, a good space for live music when in the central London now there just aren't as many spaces. And again, I know Merlin said perhaps this conversation is a bit London-centric, so please, yeah, send us your um, send us any links to anything that's going on in the rest of the country and so we can give them a shout out as well. Yeah. Definitely, definitely do. We need these bars. And it's like, I'll tell you right now, any city without a metal bar in it is a city I do not want to visit. So we need to support these bars and uh, these venues. And uh, uh, these are two very specific examples, but I'm sure there's yeah. more. But every bar has its unique atmosphere. And um, and it's just, you know, if they if you lose those, it's like you're losing colours from, from, from the world. Your perception just narrows and 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 thing is you know it would be avoid it's avoidable um and that's a really frustrating thing as well too definitely but anyway it feels like a lot a lot of negativity but there's a lot of stuff to be positive about metal right now there are some banging albums coming out this week and we're going to review a couple of them right here on the podcast uh first of all we're going to talk about the brand new tribulation album where the gloom becomes sound out this Friday on Century Media. Um, this is a band who are getting, it seems like, more and more hype as the years go on. Uh, they're a Swedish quartet 
whose album whose first album arrived way back in 2009 so they're not kind of a new band by any means they've been around for more than a decade now but i guess it's kind of in the preceding years since the um and the succeeding years since where we've seen them uh really kind of evolve and uh, get more hyped up because they basically started um, in the death metal scene and that's where their roots kind of lie and that's what their early music kind of mainly tapped into. Um, and then as, they, as they've gone on, they've kind of evolved into this dramatic, gothic, heavy metal band. Um, I feel like Children of the Night from 2015 was a real breakthrough moment for them in that respect. And they've got a lot of big tours uh, since then. Um, they've toured with bands like uh, I saw them with like Arch Enemy. I've seen uh, they played with Ghost, obviously in arenas recently. They've even toured with Five Finger Death Punch in arenas, I think, over in Russia or something strange. Um, yeah, a stadium. They did I a mean, stadium in Russia with Five Finger Death Punch because they you know, they want to play. It's bizarre, isn't it? Like that shows. pairing just doesn't seem to make sense. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, they just keep kind of getting bigger, and there's more and more hypes around in this band. Uh, they had another album in 2018 called Down Below that did pretty well. Uh, and now this is their, what is this, their fifth album, I guess? Fifth, third, fourth. Yeah, fifth record. So this next yes, album is called fifth. Where the Doom Becomes Sound. Um, so it sees them obviously at a very important point in their career. They're a band with real kind of underground breakthrough potential. A lot of people are earmarking them as the next band to make a really big step out of the underground and into the kind of mainstream metal consciousness. But there's quite a big caveat to all that because one of their uh, most recognized members, one of their big driving creating forces, uh, guitarist Jonathan Holton actually left the, at the band just before this album came out. No. L is doing a big sad about this. Um, and uh, yeah, not only was he the guitarist, obviously he contributed a huge amount to the music, but um, he was also a big visual focal point. If you've ever seen Tribulation live, you'll see him as this kind of like wispy ghosty figure haunting the side of the stage as he like shreds on the guitar so he's a big personality and he is on this album um, but he's not going to be a part of the band from this point on they've already got a long time friend of the band called joseph thole taking over on guitars um so it puts this album in a bit of a weird light in many ways because it's a hugely important album in terms of their progress but it also represents the end of an era so what do we think of this what do you think of this jonathan you've been on the tribulation train for many years now yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Like I, I've, I mean, I remember them back in their death metal days, and you could actually hear some, uh, some of the gothic elements coming in in the formulas of death that was out twenty thirteen, and then they came out with um, uh, the children of the night, and I was so in love with this album. Just the atmosphere it had was so incredible, and yeah, it, it you know, it has this really like small G gothic feel. It was not like God, I am goth rock. But it has this kind of, of it's like the sense of like it has this real kind of sense of discovery like you're just about to enter into this kind of wonderful strange land and um and strangely like you know i guess because it, it's swedish um you know not that strange because they they were probably in connection with bands like watain but they also had a similar feel where there was you know whatever it was at the heart whether it's a rock song or it's a black metal song there was this weird bayful at- atmosphere on the out just hanging it like hanging around it that is really tantalizing and um so it, so the music like really draws you in and um i thought down below wasn't as good i thought they'd stripped it down and they'd lost some of that sense of awe of the children of the night and i can really feel it coming back into where the gloom becomes sound and um 
you know, it has, it has everything you kind of want from a um, tribulation record. But, you know, at the heart, they're great rock songs as well. And, yeah, it's going to be weird without Jonathan because it wasn't just Jonathan. It was the, um, like, I love bands when you watch them on stage and you've got the front man, but you also you have this um, really good communication between uh, the guitarists on either side. And so between him and Adam Zars, there were kind of these two waifs on either side that um, worked so well visually as a pairing as well as like on a, you know, as a musical level. So I'd be curious to see how the visual dynamic um, uh, develops between them. And um, I'm not so worried about um, where they're going to go musically. Um, I think they've got, you know, the, the riffs are so good, they've got that built into them. Um, and sometimes sometimes change can, can be good. And I think, um, I, you know, I'm really curious to see where they're gonna, mm. what they're going to do musically after this. But, um, but this is a really, you know, it's a really powerful record with a sense, yeah, and I said, it, you know, it's got, they have a sense of awe at the heart of them. And it's an awe that, of something that's kind of not quite um, specified, but I love that kind of open-endedness that they have, as well as having like really great. Um, yeah, that's, that's very riffs. finely put. Um, I love this album as well. I kind of agree, like, um, as I said, you've been on the tribulation train for much longer than I have, but um, I did kind of come in a little bit on, children of the night and that's when i first saw them a couple of times and um i i, I don't know with down below it's like yeah i guess you agree they just start they just kind of dialed it back a lot and it's almost like i almost kind of forgot that album happens really it's just kind mm -hmm. of like it was just the next thing they did whereas i just think this album's got a lot more about it and i find it really um it's interesting to me how much people do lean on the goth thing with this band like you said they're like goth with a small g and like to me, this is just a fucking great heavy metal record. And yes, it's melodramatic and there's all these kind of atmospheric gothic elements to it. But there are many kind of things in here that are relevant to, you know, King Diamond as there are to anything from the more gothic side of the scene. Um, and I just think the potential. Yeah, when I, when I said gothic, I meant, yeah, I meant definitely, sensibility. Definitely. Not but it feels genre. like that whole gothic thing has kind of formed quite a big part of their kind of personality, I guess, and their, um, the way people talk about them. But I just think they're mm. a fucking great heavy metal band. I'm going to let Elle talk now as well, because I, I can just hear a single tear rolling down her cheek as she thinks about Jonathan not being in the band anymore. No, because I have not been on the Tribulation train for long. <laughs> I boarded the Tribulation train, I'm going to keep going with this, when they supported Ghost, was it, at the um, Wembley. big place where gigs happen? We Wembley. were standing next to each other. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we were standing next to each other. So I remember like um, Eleanor's wonder in real, I experienced Eleanor's wonder in real time. Yeah, and I was going to Jonathan like, who's that guy? Who's that guy on the stage? He's amazing. And Jonathan's <laughs> like, ah, that's Jonathan Holton. And <laughs> I was like, wow, he's so cool. Look at the way he's like dancing around the stage and all of his gothic ripped clothes. And he was like a real personality and a real focal point. And I'd never really been that fussed before. And then I really got into them from seeing them. Um, and, you know, that's why it's amazing. They've done these massive gigs like Wembley and they played the Russian Stadium with Five Finger Death Punch because I feel like they're the kind of band where um, you might 
not really give them too much of a second look or you might think oh maybe it's too underground for me or whatever and then you actually see them and you go they are for me after all this is just my experience but Jonathan was kind of being yeah sort of a bit like um <laughs> a commentator for me kind of explaining about all the different records and the different songs and it was really cool so I was really excited when this record um was announced and I really love this album as well. I think it's amazing. And um, I'm just a bit gutted that Jonathan's leaving because he's the primary songwriter on this. And I think it's so good. And now I'm not going to get to see him do his crazy stage antics again. Although I would say that his solo record is really, really good. That was out last year called Chance from Another Place. So, um, you know, that's what he's going to pursue. So I'm sure there'll be more of that to come. Yeah, I've, I've seen him live solo. Unfortunately, he lost his voice. It was at Roadburn. But he looked absolutely incredible and yeah uh, he does loads of crazy makeup and dark clothing and he takes a lot from like silent movies and german expressionist films and things he's very concerned with aesthetics so if you look him up yeah he's cool did did we am i right in thinking that when he did the solo album we didn't actually know that he was going to leave tribulation it was kind of marketed as like this is just what he's doing on the side yeah yeah very much so and um i think the band it sounds like the band kind of sensed something was coming as he was getting kind of pulled in two directions almost and that they kind of knew it might happen and then he told them that he was going to leave to focus on his solo work so but yeah that uh, all happened enough. before um, he left. but yeah go on what 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 one thing also i really love about i love bands that can kind of straddle different worlds so they're a bit like Primordial in the sense, in that, you know, they can play, like I've seen them play with, um, uh, I was at that game. so they can play, you know, you know, yeah, yeah. Und- underground bands can still dig them and, but, but, um, they appeal to other audiences too, but also if, even if you're like a big underground fan, you still love a big anthem and, um, when it's done right and with, with, with the right approach and, so I, I love these bands in the same way when I was a kid I used to love pop music that was kind of half pop half mm. kind of avant-garde but it'd be on top of the pops and I yeah. love this kind of we might talk about this later on actually but I love this kind of dialogue between different worlds and um when people take things from a very different world and put it into different contexts and it and when you get the yeah. best of both it's incredible Leviathan's a really good song on this record I think that's probably like the most accessible one there's a bit in the middle and I said to Jonathan, oh, it really reminds me of like um, a cross between a machine head riff and a spoken word bit from an architect's song or a sampled bit from an architect's song. And you were like, what? In tribulation? And I was like, this is just my observations. Yeah, I, I kind of forgotten about that because I've been <laughs> yeah, uh, they, They've got so much going for them. Do you think that they actually have <clears throat> the potential to follow like, it's really hard to draw comparisons in extreme metal, isn't it? But you know, I guess kind of behemoth are kind of the standards comparison at the moment for bands that have come from the extreme metal scene and then broken through into something, you know, significantly bigger. I mean, is there the potential for them to do that? Because I feel like they've kind of been at that precipice for a few years now, although that was before I knew that they were out here playing stadiums with Five Finger Death Punch, of course. Yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's obviously really hard to judge the moment without gigs. But the thing, I think the thing you, you, you kind of have to go to is when, when you have seen them live, you know, the level of intensity of the fans. And when they played with Girls Vert, it was like there was a lot of people there to see them. Definitely. And it was like their band. And 
and you don't really grow and you can tell when like um bands are going to be big because they have that baseline of like sometimes it's beyond most baseline beyond what what is kind of you'd expect with some other bands and the level of passion people had at, i remember seeing at the gig towards them even though they were they were the support yeah, band definitely. was really intense and so that's kind of what i that's I, I, kind be, of what i go on for you know to be and, honest i'm coming out the wouldn't, i mean as much as i think you know gar's interesting and everything i don't think i would have gone to that gig if it wasn't for tribulation and um did idle hands and uh someone else really good play that gig didn't they yeah yeah, well, Iwata, that was the was other band. Yeah, so it was Iwata. a really strong bill. And um, yeah, Tribulation were definitely the thing that I came back thinking about the most that night. Uh, yeah. And and it's funny because they, they, they all had like an 80s element. Uh, I mean, less so Uwada, but all the other bands, they all had an 80s element to them. Like, um, what are, Eleanor, what are Idle Hands called now? Unto Others. Unto Others. Yeah, they had to change their name. But um, they had this weird mix of like goth rock and um, new wave of British heavy metal. And it fuses so perfectly that you can't really tell one between the other and they write great anthems too. And mm. there's a really big buzz about that band as well. Um, but, you know, so there is a kind of like an 80s goth and an 80s post-punk thing that's been really going through the underground and uh, each in their own way. But um, Tribulation, I think, you know, after, um, I think it all kicked off with, um, uh, climax by uh, Beast Milk, but you know there was a different different side of the eighties. But um, I think Tribulation have become the stand almost like the standard bearers for this kind of gothic sensibility that's been really making Definitely. its way through the underground. I, I would go as far to say that I think I, I, there aren't many people who like metal in any sense that I wouldn't show this album to and say give this a go because it ticks so many boxes. It's so well crafted. Um, as you guys have said, it's like it's anthemic, but it's also still kind of slightly subversive, and it's just it's just it's just fucking awesome. I love this record. Um, strongly, strongly suggest everyone goes to yeah. pick it up. Pick it up. What year are we in? Go listen to it, and then buy a physical copy if you really like it. Uh, Tribulation, where the gloom becomes sound, yeah, uh, is out on Friday with Century Media. Are you going to add something to that, Jonathan? Yeah, I just, I also, I, just, I think what really comes across is that, you know, it's mixing different things, but but it's one single mm. intent. There's nothing calculated about it. And you hear a lot of modern bands, and I feel there's something that, you know, they the, the, just can't, sometimes at the worst, you know, you feel like they're going through checklists of stuff. But there's a really, there's a real purity of intent. And it's like, they're obviously working through their obsessions. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff behind um, the music and a lot of knowledge uh, folklore and about stuff to do with um, Indian tantric um, uh, rituals. So th there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to dig into as well as it um, being just superficially a great work. Absolutely, record. all the best bands have that level of uh, depth, don't they? And they're, they're one of them. Um, also, also out this week, stacked week for great new music is the Accept album out as well. By the way, I just suddenly thought that might be out this week as well. You know. That that record, whenever it's out, is absolutely killer. I think just sometimes I you think just it want... might be out this week. We're not going to do the full review, but basically, speaking of heavy metal, if you just like fucking great heavy fucking metal, it was produced amazingly uh, by the one and only Andy Sneap, and just 
you know, made to sound as good as that that part of the scene can sound. The new Accept album's out this Friday. I should listen to that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it has that revelatory feel that only proper old school metal can have. Are it's you sure? I, th- I think it's been pushed back. I think it's out tomorrow. Uh-huh. It, oh, uh, oh it could have been. Um, yeah, it's not out yet. But yeah, it, it's just, if you like, Definitely. If you love yeah. him, except you mean to die, also out. And um, we're not going to review that because if you haven't, you know, if you don't know what Accept to Rab out by now, then where have you been? But if you don't, go listen to it. What we are going to talk about is the, I think this is the debut album. Am I right? It's not. Oh, okay. So this is, but no, still, this, I am wrong. wrong My research proves me wrong. Um, but this is, anyway, the new album by a young band, one of the most interesting young bands around at the moment. Uh, they're a band called Divide and Dissolve. Uh, this is a band made up of two Australian women, Takia uh, Reed and Sylvie Nahill. Sorry if I butchered those names. Uh, they're both of indigenous descent, uh, and they basically crafted this really rich, atmospheric blend of tribalistic drone, avant-garde experimentalism to create what's probably going to go down as one of the most unique albums of this year, I think. Um, they're effectively using their music, which is mostly instrumental, as a rally against oppression, white supremacy, the ongoing effects of colonialism. Uh, I know they've collaborated with poets and visual artists and other creators as well. Uh, So the band that's really doing some world building to get this message across. Um, I'm personally not about that drone life, (laughs) but I really like this album a lot. I think it's very affecting musically uh, and I'm especially interested in what opportunities it might bring them to kind of continue to push their message because as I mentioned, it's, it's instrumental or predominantly instrumental drone. So you're not kind of able to dig into the lyrics that are behind uh, their messages and the, the themes that they're, um, they're kind of exploring here. But uh, it's very powerful stuff. And um, I've not heard a lot of stuff out there that sounds exactly like this. What did you make of this Divide and Dissolve album, Jonathan? I loved I, I love the record. So the first time I, I heard it, I mean, I, and I think you're right, like it's really affecting, mm. but in ways you can't really put your finger on. Um, um, so the first time I played it I didn't actually read the press release that came with it properly so I had no idea what it was about Um, which which is an interesting way to listen to a record like such as this and yeah I found it like kind of deeply sad a little bit hopeful it kind of felt like an elegy in the way that um, I don't know if you know Godspeed You Black Emperor where Mm. it feels like a kind of almost like a road movie through this kind of ruined landscape and it's an elegy for what you've lost um, and it's, it's got this kind of string refrain that goes all the way through it that feels like, yeah, it feels like a kind of an aftermath and it's really affecting and, um, and it coming out when it did, you know, in this kind of, when we, we feel like we've lost so much or all this so much we may lose, <clears throat> it really felt like it resonated with, the, with, with this moment, um, in the way that, um, like back in the late nineties, you know, it's the end of the end of the millennium. There were a couple of records for me. It was OK Computer, um, and a record by a band called Skullflower called um, uh, uh, Third Gatekeeper. That really felt like this kind of this this decaying signal from another age, and um, this is this is its last flag. And so, the, so I, I find it really affecting. Um, that if for all the 
specificity of what their music is about. There's something really deeply mysterious about it as well that just draws you into it over and over again. And so, you know, then you go back and you, and you, I guess, you know, the interviews are part of the, part of mm. how the band present themselves as well as the music. So maybe you could take more, but I think it's with all, with a lot of bands, you, you know, they, they might explain what they're about to some extent, but there's, there's something else like an extra, like an extra multidimensional layer you get from actually listening to the music. <coughs> um, and so they're different experiences, but they kind of combine into one thing. And, uh, there's also lots of um, theories about drone and noise as this kind of very liberating hierarchy destroying form of music. Um, so it does it does kind of tie in a, tie in a little bit, and yeah, so it has to affect you on a really personal level, and then you know that kind of draws you into the message that message that they're giving. And also, there's this, there's this kind of semi spoken yeah. word, there's a spoken word part in the middle uh, by a poet. And it's um, and it's kind of the, the voice is kind of semi-roboticized, and it's it's genuinely one of the most moving, saddest, most beautiful things I've heard. Even though it's like a kind of a semi-robot voice, and it's like you, I don't know, it's like some kind of sci-fi society where um, it's talking about the age that was before, and it's it's just bottomlessly poignant and yeah. And that's yeah, beautiful. God, I don't know if I can add to that. That was <laughs> very succinctly and uh, wonderfully put. And that's, it's a really good point about how it's a strange dynamic where you could kind of say, well, you wouldn't know what their message is about unless you happen to read their interviews. But then I kind of think that, you know, like you said, there are many bands out there where you kind of really need to get a wider idea of what they're all about to be fully affected by them. And um, I think once you do kind of know uh you know what their message is and what it is they're rallying against it does add a, an extra sense of poignancy because it is undoubtedly very primarily powerful music that they're that they're making um what did you think of these guys Al? yeah it's not really like my genre um, and i'd heard a few tracks online um because we had the piece in the magazine about them and i'd kind of um read that and listened to them a bit online and I was like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. But I think hearing the full record is a much more arresting experience because of the flow of the tracks, because the music ebbs and flows. is very dramatic and takes you on a journey. And that song that you mentioned, Jonathan, I think that's track three. Did you have something to do with it? Mm. And uh, I found that really arresting because um, before I was just thinking kind of, I was a bit confused about this whole, how do you get the message across when it's, instrumental music and that literally made me stop in my tracks I was like I had it on in one room and was in another room and I came back and paused it and went back to the beginning and turned it up and was like wow um and I think the more of that kind of stuff you hear and the more you listen to it the more you um are dragged into its world and then when mm. you find out more about them through their interviews and you think about what they're actually doing it becomes a more powerful whole so I think to me, I was a bit kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever, it's all right. But having sat with it longer and thought about it more, I feel like I've kind of digested it in a way that I hadn't earlier. Um, and, you know, um, they're obviously trying to do something very powerful that is powerful when you hear it and is also powerful in terms of what it's 
trying to do like highlight white supremacy and um you know they sort of talk about um protecting black futures and you know, there's obviously a lot more going on the more you dig into the surface and the more you listen the more you um feel what they're trying to do so it's yeah not something that yeah. you can casually listen to or have a passing interest in really you yeah, have to kind definitely. of stop and actually take it in yeah i mean it's, it's, yeah because you know, it, it's not a polemic you know the thing that's so powerful about it is it's so open-ended and and mysterious at the same time like, like i said i get that with godspeed you black emperor as well and mm. um you know and, and and you know that's another band where it, you know it it's real like the whole band is very much comes from a way of life like the way they live um you know as a, as a, as a kind of a commune and and so it creates this kind of fully immersive, you know, so it does kind of create this kind of very fully immersive world. And I guess it's more about the, as, as much about the dynamic of fighting this thing, fighting these, you know, oppression, um, as much as it is just making one kind of particular case. You know, so there's so many levels and layers to it. You know, um, you know otherwise I could just put out, a, put out a polemic and say this and that, and that'd be the end of it. But it, you know, I, I, I had a visceral effect to the music uh, before I even knew what they were about. Um, yeah, I, I think really that's uh, I think that's that's what it's all about, really. It's just the fascinating um, duality uh, that's at the heart of this band, and whether you choose to um, engage with their their message and their and their fight, um, I certainly hope people will. It's you know, it's vitally important that we celebrate bands that are unafraid to um, confront these issues. Uh, but yeah, musically as well, um, Gaslit is a is an amazing album and very powerful. Yeah, very powerful album title as well. Um, but uh, it is out this Friday as well via Invada Records. That's Divide and Dissolve with Gaslit. They've also got that great Tribulation album. And if you just want some no nonsense heavy fucking metal, do go listen to the new Accept album as well. They are all really really good. Twenty twenty one definitely off to a flyer in uh, in musical respects at least. Um, let's do some reader questions, shall we? How about you take this first one, Elle? Sure. This is from Andrew Brown. He says, oh, this is going to be a good one. What's better, metal covers of pop songs or pop covers of metal songs? Evidence for each. So we have to give our examples as well. Do we like metal covers of pop songs or pop I covers of metal of songs? I can't think of a ton of infamous pop covers of metal songs, to be honest. That's where I kind of came on start quite quickly. I can think of one. Go on. Um, I, um, well, let me. Uh, so I would, in theory, I would prefer pop covers of metal songs rather than um, rather than metal covers of pop songs. Just because metal metal covers of pop songs, for the most part, aren't really going to bring out something new out of the original, other than make it a bit more gruff and a bit and make it a bit silly. But um, no. Some are really amazing. Yeah, there are. So, the the, the exception, be, the, the main exception being, of course, is Two Assess doing um, uh, Rasputin, which is amazing. That. I yeah, I yeah, I am. Uh, I saw I saw them. I saw Two Assess's first gig in London in front of fifty people, and I knew then and there that they were going to be huge. And um, I'm not normally into this kind of silliness, but I uh, but. You know, 
but you know i i love to assess uh they've got something that i love them and i love troll fest and certain bits of um uh fin troll as well too where it's just it's very knowing but that but you know it, it just hits all your pleasure centers um uh uh that that cover version uh however like oh, hearing yeah. tori amos doing raining blood is pretty amazing experience and also, you know, hearing her version of um, "Smells Like Teen, Sp Teen Spirit" too—not a record song, but um, and it's not—it's not really pop in the normal way of things, but um, it certainly puts puts something into a whole new light and context, and you know, makes "Raining Blood" kind of poignant. It's, just, it's like, I like I, I'm not quite sure what she's trying to say in that, but lots of different <laughs> things, and but I feel them all, and so I kind of really, I kind of really love them, mm. love that, love that version. I prefer a cover of um, Smells Like Teen Spirit because uh, it really brings the sadness that's at the heart of that song out. And so it so that's a song that, that puts a metal song in a completely different context and really brings something outside of it. I can't think really what else um, uh, I works can only in the other think direction. Of, um, I mean, obviously Manson's cover of Sweet Dreams is a good example of I yeah, actually, that is a great song. Taking that that a, is great. All, all Manson covers are great. But that that is a it real. Is, yeah, but I, I wonder well if too. there's. Uh, I'm sure there's others out there. I can't think of many that come instantly to mind. I mean, one. I mean, nuclear blast. Can I do my favourites? These are my favourite metal covers of pop songs. I like Disturbed oh, yeah. and Land of Confusion. Again, Genesis. I, like I was just going to say, again, not doesn't really Sorry, add kind of complex emotional layers like Tori Amos does. But... I think I like it because I just found it like fun and I didn't know the original when I heard it. So I just didn't really know what they're doing. And I just kind of like it now. Um, Limp Biscuits Faith. Yeah, again, kind of like, amazing cover, but definitely uh, kind of annihilated what little subtlety there was in that song. <laughs> yeah, you know, what, 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 screams. I what love that cover, Behind Blue Eyes. Well? Oh, I, eyes. Yeah. oh, I don't like that. That can get in. I disagree. No, I'm taking it. I'm sorry, I'm taking it out of the bin. It's coming yeah. back out of the bin. No, two people want it in the bin and one person wants it in this the bin. This ain't a fucking democracy, my friend. It's coming out the bin. <laughs> <laughs> no, you uh, I like that song. Us. I think it's underrated. And, I haven't, uh, I haven't no, I'm, I'm sticking up. I'm sticking songs. up. We're holding this podcast dead. I'm sticking up for that biscuit cover. Not only is it good, and not only does Fred do a perfectly reasonable job of singing that song, but the little robo voice thing in the middle is really good. It's a really good addition. Oh God! It's so oh. it, it's the thing is like it's all the self pityingness that um, he ever used to exhibit, all distilled down, you know, with kind of extra, with extra kind of self justification, and um, it just makes it into really self pitying, horrible. I think schmaltzy. it's a good cover, and yeah. you know what? A lot of people agree with me because it's their second most streamed song ever. So there, so there, more streams than more streams than take a look around. Oh. Or breaks them. Yep. Yep. What? What? Is that just people by accident searching for it and then not realizing it's Limp Biscuit and then turning it off because no. it's bad and they actually wanted to listen to the hoop? <laughs> well, give me a second. 
<laughs> when you when you're saying the Who, we're talking about the the British uh, band, not not the um. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Al. Al was mid-flow. Yeah. Go on. I've not finished my answer. Here's one. I know those two that I said, Disturbed and Limp Bizkit. They're very new metal covers, and I like them. Um, but, you know, Jonathan mentions that like, covers can be a bit silly, and perhaps they are a bit silly, and that's fine. But one which is really good is the whole Deftones covers album is amazing, and they do The Chauffeur by Duran Duran, and that's really good. Yeah, I think some anybody, anybody no, I think go to react really to me? Choice. No. I think, I think all good. <laughs> actually, I, I, I like I, actually I like some covers albums. Uh, between the buried and me did a covers album, and it was kind, that was kind of really interesting, uh, like what they chose. And they were kind of fairly obscure songs actually, but it kind of but it told you a lot about the band. So. Like covers albums usually have a different point than than sticking a bonus track on at the end of something. Like you know, a covers album is going to tell you a lot about where a band's coming from, but uh, but oh. just doing um, you know, a cover of Britney Spears isn't necessarily going to do that. Yeah, well, the Deftones one it obviously tells you all their tastes and things. You know, they've got Sade and the Cardigans, Leonard Skinnerd, Japan, Duran Duran. Ah, oh, Japan is one of my favorite all-time bands. I need to go back and listen to. What do you know? Do you remember offhand what Japan song they covered? The Ghosts. <gasps> That's like Japan. Olama, Alpha, and my amigos. Too long a story to tell you here, but but um, I'm only doing what I'm doing because of Japan. But that's a long story. Well, then aren't you glad we had this conversation and I started talking about metal yeah. songs? Yeah, Ghosts. Ghosts. Ghosts is the second strangest song to have ever been a huge hit. It, it was number five in the charts, and. It's the, it's the second strangest strangest hit in the world uh, after Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. And it's all based around this um, minimalist composer called Eric Satie, musically. And um, it's one that, again, these are both two uh, amazingly beautiful, poignant songs that are really avant-garde. And Ghost was number five, and Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson was number two in the charts. And if you listen to Oh Superman um, and you watch the video, it's on YouTube, and you... And, uh, and and I just remember to have some stuff. I grew up in a world where this is number two, and in the charts. And for anyone else, like it must be a completely alien world. But um, I'm really glad I grew up in that alien world where like really avant-garde Fair stuff. Is enough. Um, yeah, I can't. I, I, I'm just trying to think of anything else that could add in. Really, I mean, yeah, obviously the Johnny Cash cover of her. It's not metal either way, but definitely. No, the original's better. I hate it when people say the Johnny Cash. Well, I didn't say that, did I? They can get in the bin as well. I I do actually prefer the Johnny Cash version, but it's a good example of two songs being so different. Same with with Sweet Dreams, really. The two songs are so different that they completely stand in their own totally separate entities to me. Like, listening to those two songs, uh, the two versions of her, inspire very different emotions in me personally, so... Oh, yeah. I mean, so, some of my favourite songs are like cover versions of songs, and there's a there's a Swans version where they cover Crimey River. Uh, well, it wasn't. It was kind of it was called Skin, which is basically the main two people from Swans, and it's the most you know. Crimey River is just this kind of like it's sad, but it's a kind of very it's sort of in the easy listening vein, and you hear like Jarbo from Swans singing Crimey River, and it's genuinely one of the most haunting. You're talking about Crimey River by I've Justin Timberlake. Um, no. No, by Julie, 
no, no, no. The um, the, the late sixties. Uh, oh, please tell me you thought you meant Justin uh, Timberlake song. as well. Thank goodness. I thought you meant Justin Timberlake. No, 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 no. And no, I was very really. confused. I was I like, why would they be doing that? Judy London. It was the Judy London version, uh, which is they just happen to have the same song title. Um, see, I'm a generation where if you say Crime River, I'll immediately. I'm, think I'm disappointed London. now. I thought there was a Swans cover of Justin Timberlake out there that I hadn't heard. No, no, no. Uh, Crime River, the original Judy London one's a great song, but but the Swans version or the Jarbo version is one of the most haunting things you'll ever hear, and will put a chill wow. into your bones that you you won't get out. Why are you always trying to make us listen to horrible stuff, Jonathan? It's not. It's 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 incredible. It's Damn. one of the most powerful uh, things I've ever heard. So I love I love I love cover versions where they completely transform a song and yeah, put it into that band's own world. Um, but metal bands don't often do that. They, uh, having said that, there's an amazing and uh, uh, as much as I like Neil Young, I think most of the Neil Young covers are better than the originals. Like um, "Cinnamon Girl" by Typo Negative. Oh yeah, and um, and also uh, uh, Steve Von Till from Neurosis. Um, uh, he has a he has a a new young cover, which is just so incredible, and and I prefer that to "Running Free." I think it's called um, not "Running Free." That's me off completely, uh, but um, it's. Just incredible. Right, cool. Let's let's move on. Let's move on from the covers. We've got a lot more uh, songs to do. Uh, songs, questions to do. Uh, Matt Heeks says you can go see any band once everything is back to normal. Do you go for a band that will put on an amazing all-round show like Ramstein or Tool? Those are two very different visual bands. Uh, or do you go for a smaller band to go wild to and have a party to? I mean, I've seen L watch Ramstein. L has a party to Ramstein and Tool, so you should have both. Is exactly what I was going to say, and I think I mentioned I've got tickets for Ramstein, and it's meant to be in June, and you know, not sure that will happen. So at some point, though, I would like to use my Ramstein ticket to go and see Ramstein, and I would have that a lovely would be a party. Good party indeed. What about you, Jonathan? Um, definitely the latter. I just I need I miss my crew. I miss my gig crew. I miss the I miss the kind of going to an underground gig and knowing so many people and just. I need that sense of community back again. Um, so a gig at the Black Heart, a gig at the Dome for me, or you know, being a Londoner. But um, I need, I need, I need to be in a room where like you just have to get eye contact with someone, and you're all feeling the same way, and and it becomes bigger than some of its parts. So I need a, I need a sweaty gig, and I miss, my, I miss, I miss my, my crew really bad. That. Uh, Tony Glover says, "What are your best and worst?" Oh, I'm, I didn't see that it said best. I've just been thinking of worst. What are your best and worst music purchases, albums, gigs, merch, etc.? We'll try and keep this relatively streamlined. Best. What's your best music-based purchases, Jonathan? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what this means. I mean, it's like. Um... Some some records I bought when I knew what they sounded like, but other records, you know, back in the days before internet, you know, I'd buy them on a hunch or I'd buy them, you know, from a review. Uh, so probably for me, like, yes, just to continue this conversation, I'm going to say um, uh, the first Japan record I ever bought because that set me off on a long path that's got me to where I am today. 
Um, it was um, I can't now I can't remember the name of the song now. Uh, but uh, probably probably Japan. Um, I bought records on spec that blow my mind. Um, you know, when it comes to metal, I've kind of known what I was going to buy beforehand. So I'm going to talk about my pre-metal days. Talk, talk, um, talk, talk. Like, <laughs> sorry, the irony of you saying talk, talk, and I'm talking. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, he does say albums, gigs, and merch. So it doesn't have to be albums. It could be a gig ticket you bought or a t-shirt you got. Or yeah. Something. Okay. Well. Okay. So um, this would have been about eight, six, eighty-seven, and I was obsessed with a band called Throne Muses, and I was toured with Pixies. Um, and pictures were headlining, and um, I went as soon as I heard there were, there were tickets. I, I just ran straight to what's now the forum, used to be called the Town and Country Club, and I bought a ticket and I had ticket number 0001. Uh, so that, that was really happy with merch box sets. Usually, it's box sets. I have some amazing box sets that I bought. I always buy Watain box sets when they come out. Uh, I've got the Coven box set, which is a thing of absolute beauty. Um, yeah, just I'm um, I'm kind of obsessed with box sets, really. And certain bands, the minute there's a box set, I'll buy it. And um, yeah, so having um, having Lawless Darkness as a box set, having the whole run of like Coven albums on gatefold vinyl, um, just gives me huge excellent answers, sir. Uh, Eleanor, what about you? Sorry, Ellie. <laughs> go, on, go on, Ellie. Today. I chose it. Uh, my worst is an album that I bought because of a, a review in Kerrang. And um, yeah, like you said, Jonathan, it was sort of pre-things being on the internet. And I was obviously well into new metal and it got a good review. And it was Pin the Tail on the Honky by Dislocated Styles. And it came out in 2001. And... It's terrible. I think there was one good song in it, like the first single that I enjoyed. And then the rest of it is like absolutely dire. And that's from somebody who loved new metal so much. So, you know, it's bad. And then my best, I think probably gig tickets I bought to gigs out of the country because I got to see the band and go and have a holiday as well. So I went to see Isan at the Moulin Rouge in Paris with a big group of friends and that was really fun because we just messed around in Paris for a couple of nights and I went to see Tool in Berlin and it was their first European show on the new record and again it was pretty much the same group of mates and we just went um, and went to all the rock bars in Berlin so not only did we get the gigs we just got to have a load of fun as well so obviously a bit more expensive than buying Pin the Tail on the Honky but infinitely better I would say Oh, oh, then. I, have, I have one more to add to that in that case. I went I went to Berlin to see Church with a, with a very good friend of mine. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I've got, um, I, yeah, I fucking love churches. We, I think we've actually talked about churches on this podcast before, which is a bit weird, but they are amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, any any special gig ticket, definitely. I mean, um, tickets for, uh, I went to see Metallica in Prague in 2019, and that was really special because I was there with my mates, and it was just the kind of thing that seems a million miles away right now, but uh, that's very special to me. Um, in, the th- in the theme of kind of like music that got us going, uh, I'd have to say my cassette copy of Rolling by Limp Biscuit because it was the thing that got me into metal. So definitely shout out that. That'd probably be worth money now, I imagine. Is there a currency for that kind of thing? Maybe not, I don't know. 
I don't know what biscuit nostalgia is, biscuit nostalgia is a thing yeah. or not. Um, and then, yeah, just got a few things. I mean, I think T-shirts from gigs that end up holding a very special place for you or um, kind of were an event. So like my Maiden Twickenham T-shirt is probably my favourite piece of merch because it's so unique. It's Eddie with the rugby ball. Um, and uh, it probably remains my favourite gig ever. And it's just any time I wear that T-shirt out anywhere, someone will go, oh, my God, what, what T-shirt is that? Or where's that from? Or, oh, my God, you got the, the, you know, I didn't get a T-shirt for that gig that day. So that's really special to me. Um, also, the Metallica S&M T-shirt that I got when I saw them do S&M 2 in San Francisco. I can't remember if I've mentioned that on here before. Um, but, yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> that's good. it's a really cool like boot kind of pretend bootleg one if that makes sense so it says san francisco in the metallica font on it um <clears throat> on the front with the uh jump in the fire demon um hanging over the golden gate bridge so it looks like a fake t-shirt but it's an official one and it says san francisco so it like doubled up as a uh momentum um and i'd probably also say my prodigy tattoo because i got that the day after keith flint died and it was my first tattoo i'd got um and me and my good friend got kind of matching ones and uh i'd never got a tattoo before and it kind of so it fed into this emotional um situation but also a very wholesome uh and unique experience that was you know my first tattoo and it, so it means a lot to a variety oh yeah i have tattoos that that said my first two tattoos were like band related and especially the second one uh, which is the death spell amiga from chain of the kelly ep Done in Bergen in my one of my favourite places, um, and the record means a huge, huge lot to me. The people who did it um, mean a huge lot to me. The place where it was done means a huge amount to me. And um, yeah, awesome. So that's yeah, cool. And then I've just I got random ones. Like I had a pair of Iron Maiden vans that I loved, which is not quite as deep. But um, I also want to say as well, I got the uh, not a metal one at all, but um, my favourite vinyl purchase of all time. Uh, when I finally started properly um, collecting vinyl, I held off on buying a copy of my favorite hip hop album of all time, which is Stankonia by Outkast, because I knew that the 20th anniversary was on the way. And I was kind of just holding my nerve a bit to see if someone would uh, release a 20th anniversary version of it. Um, and I said to my mate for like a couple of years, like uh, I want a special edition of it when it comes out. And lo and behold, the brilliant Vinyl Me Please um, released a version of Stankonia that was on like smoky vinyl and it came in a really nice cardboard sleeve set and it is gorgeous and it's by far the happiest I've ever been opening up a vinyl set in my life so that is up there as well um, in terms of worst purchases probably just all the crap new metal albums I bought back in the day like Elle said um, I had the Drowning Pool records I had the Union Underground record that's probably still in my CD collection somewhere it's not though yeah that's it? a good one it's terrible there's got like two alright songs on it Yes. What Death other tunes do they have, Elle? Turn <laughs> exactly. me on, Mr. Deadman. So, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> nothing else going on there. Um, so, yeah. Fuck that. Boy, an idiot. Uh, right. Let's pick another question. Let's do one more. Um, this one's kind of related to our current cover run of uh, The Who, High Lung, Twin Temple, Alien Weaponry, Unique Young Bands. Um, Alistair Belling has picked up on the fact that at least three of those bands, you can't really call heavy metal bands, which is quite interesting. Um, maybe that's a bit uh, harsh on The Who, but certainly in the case of High Lung and uh, Twin Temple. Um, so Alistair Bain is kind of caught up on this, and he says, it's a two-pronged question. 
what do you think it is about acts like The Who and Highland that makes them so taken in by the heavy music community? And from that, what do you think describes heavy in a 2021 context? L, I'm going to let you answer the first part of that question. And Jonathan, you can ask the second part. Go on, L. Yes. Okay, so what do you think it is about acts like The Who and Highland that makes them so taken in by the heavy music community? I think it's just the sense that there's more at work in the music than what you hear on the surface and that there's more, um, there's like a deeper cultural significance to their work and perhaps darker themes. And I think that's what kind of takes them outside of the mainstream and makes them accepted by the heavy metal community. I think also there's an indescribable energy about some bands as well connected to those kind of feelings of um, reflecting culture and exploring sort of the darker parts of the human condition. There's just kind of this energy in heavy music that goes beyond that surface level and kind of pulls you in and attracts you. And I think it's kind of hard to articulate what I mean by that, but I think you could just kind of feel it. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I'm going to add something to that. Yeah, because I think, you know, heavy metal as well, is it's predicated so much on the sense of continuity like you, you don't have this in a, in a lot of other sort of popular genres where like you know everyone is aware of where it started and there's so much dialogue with the origins and you know bands like the who and Heilung um and vadruna and also other bands like um uh dead can dance which i don't know a single black metal fan who does not love dead can dance um, you know, it, they have also that sense of continuity as well, too, um, culturally, um, physically. Um, and I think there's a real bonding between that as well. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, especially from, a, from an underground metal point of view, there's a lot of things that we would never call them metal, but every metal fan I know loves, like um, Woven Hand, uh, Deck and Dance, uh, Fields of Nephilim, where you know what you you know if let's say if you're into black metal you're not like i said it's always been more than just about the music it's been about this, these sensibility and a certain kind of spirituality so even though like woven hand is like a hardcore christian band the more you're into black metal the more you like to get that band because it's you you've, you feel a kind of a spiritual resonance and how it's approached and the absolute conviction with with, with what it's done so you don't have to call it metal to um to, to sort of find an affinity with it, but you, you definitely find an affinity with it on a very spiritual level. Um, and yeah, and you know, there's other bands as well. Uh, like another band that means a lot to a, a lot of black male fans I know is a band called uh, Bowen and the Club of Gore, which is this weird, really slow late night jazz. That's kind of almost like it's slower than your body rhythms. And um, so it just draws you into like a different kind of level of consciousness. And everyone I know is obsessed with that band. They'll go and see their gigs. They find it like an absolute spiritual experience. If you have that, if you go to a um, Fields of Nephilim gig, you'll have that. I'm lucky that I'm old enough. I got to see Dead Can Dance back in the day uh, at their height. And yeah, there's something really, it gives you like a like a sense of this higher forms of consciousness. And I think that's, what you know relate to i relate to is like an underground metal fan what is so, the name of the band you just mentioned beginning with b bowen so it's b-o-h-r-e-n 
and der der club of gore oh. um and last time they played was jonathan not heard of them before yeah they, they've they've been around for a long time um and like i know so many extreme metal fans who are just absolutely obsessed and when they see it, i I've, I've never had the pleasure to see them live but there's this one i used to play and i used to go to sleep to it because like i said it, it it drags your body rhythms down to a different level um and it just slows time down so you just you just it just ch it changed your level of awareness um we used, i used to cover in my old magazine terrorizer um actually and um so yeah so it, it's it, it's it's heavy in the sense of atmosphere but heavy means different things and they don't necessarily mean the same thing. Um, and they don't necessarily have to equate, but um, I think, yeah, the heaviness of the atmosphere is how I describe that heavy in, in that sense. Um, so I don't think you have to call things metal for, in order to appreciate them as a metal fan. I just think we find correspondences across very De different uh, forms of music. Definitely. And, and I think, you know, it made me laugh because, uh, Danny Levers, uh, one of our great writers, wrote a really good piece on how um, much of the uh, heaviness in, much of the best stuff coming out of the metal scene right now isn't metal at all. And um, <laughs> what was really funny is that there are a few reactions on our Facebook. You know the types. Uh, and people were going, well, most of the bands in this list aren't even metal. And it's like, yeah, like that's the point. Um, and I think people who kind of try to rally against this thing, like, oh, it's not metal enough, it's not proper metal, it's like, it really doesn't fucking matter. Like, if you go to the gigs, it's predominantly metalheads. It is what it is, well, except it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the, the question you, know, you have to ask yourself is like, do you like this band for some of the reasons that you like some of your favorite bands? Like, is there, is there, is there like a parallel or is there a dialogue between them two? Like I might like my like a lot of pop music, but I don't like it for the same reasons I like metal. I like it for for wholly different reasons. But the things that get that draw me into say Watain or Death Bellamiga are you know the things that are coming from that draw me towards that are the things that are coming from me that would draw me towards uh, Bowen de Clavagor or Deck and Dance or Woven Hand. Um, so, so things I like for, from a completely different sensibility, um, and I would never you know like. I, I just don't see how Poppy fits into our world in any way, shape, or form. That's me personally. You know, I mean, she, she wears quartz paint and does uh, her name but, in a um, and stuff. Yeah, but you know, for, like for me, like you know, we we did we, you know, we, we when we did the um, that thing for the census when we said like choosing metal as a religion. What you're saying is that metal is as much a sensibility as a riff, and so, um, so. You can you can play a metal riff that doesn't necessarily in my in my mind that doesn't really make you uh, a necessarily a metal band in any way that's meaningful to me, but um, but a band like Deck and Dance or a band like Woven Hand are meaningful to me in the way that being a metalhead is meaningful to me. And I actually put I actually put um, metal as my religion on that because um, I felt I got so much more of my values um, from entering the metal world than I did from whatever religion I had, um, even though I'm informed by what religion I had as well too. Uh, but I just felt like that was the most, but putting metal as religion for me was like my most meaningful thing because that's where I got so many of my values from. And and I find those values in things outside of metal as well too. And you know, I found them 
in things that, that I listened to before metal that draw me into the metal world where I found a correspondence between deck and dance and, uh, you know, certain black metal bands, for instance. So it's a two way thing, but it, it's, it's, it's how those things have meaning for you in the same, in the, in that same sphere that you like metal. And just to add very quickly as well, that whole thing we were talking about, about um, you missing community and missing gigs and, uh, you know, it's common to sort of compare that to a religious ceremony in some senses, because there's this mm. enjoyed, um, shared sense of enjoyment and worship element of the music um, in the way that you experience it. And so when you're talking about metal as a religion, I definitely think you have to bring live into it as well. And perhaps with some of these bands we're calling heavy, it's as much about the live experience as well as the recorded experience and how that can make you feel as well, which could be very hard to agree on all band. of this. Although, um, of yeah. course, with the caveat that as we have established recently, it doesn't mean you have to be friends with racists just because they like metal. Uh, I think that's just about it for this week, everybody. Um, Thanks for joining us very much. As I say, sorry that I sound like, as El put it earlier, I'm thrashing around in a bin. Um, but... I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. That's That's okay. You, you, can be, you can be in the bin with... Um, with a, no. Um, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Me and Fred Durst in a bin. That's a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Two men in a bin. Two men in the bin. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's leave it there. Thanks, everyone. You've got one more week to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer and UK shops, which means that next week we will be unveiling our very special, very emotional new issue that I think a lot of you will appreciate very much. And uh, we look forward to showing you that. In the meantime, stay safe out there and keep looking after yourselves and stay metal in that. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.